What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, welcome to the Halloween edition of the From the Shadows podcast. I'm your host, Shane Grove, and with me is the super producer, super spooky producer, Jason. Greetings, everyone. Jason, I just have one question. Do you have your fishing license on you? Nope. Nope. Okay. Okay. It's an inside joke, people. It's an inside inside joke. joke. It's an inside joke. Um... So before we uh, before we get into this episode, which I think everybody is going to thoroughly enjoy, and uh, that's why we picked it for our Halloween uh, special, um, there's a couple things happening today as this episode's rolling out. Um, and we've talked I've talked about it in a couple episodes before, but today is the official release date of the Eddie Montgomery album. Ain't no closing me down. You can go to Walmart. Your nearest Walmart, purchase a copy of yourself for yourself. And if you do have a, a CD player, which I'm just, I'm just going to assume that everybody still does, um, you can find our song higher on it, the duet with uh, Eddie and Tanya Tucker. And, you know, if, if you don't want to go buy a CD, then find it on Spotify or iTunes or Apple Music and just put it on play and just let it play for like the next five days straight. You know, kind of help help us out. Maybe, maybe we can get a uh, maybe we can get a song in the top forty. Who knows? But uh, I've had a lot of people reaching out this last uh, these last couple weeks on where they can find it and um, how they can play it, and that's how you do it. So, and I know our fans of the From the Shadows podcast are cool. They'll go out and they'll check it out just for the just for the fun of it. And if you uh, do get the song, get to listen to the song, let us know what you think. I know Jason wants to. Wants to make fun of me if somebody doesn't like the song. So hey, you, know. you remembered I said that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I remember you said that. So uh, so we so not it's not just you know the this cool song this cool project we got coming out. It's not just Halloween, but our guest today 
is tied to another project that's coming out next week that Jason and I are, are involved in. And that is um, something else we've talked about forever. The Escape from Death Block 13 comes out on November 2nd on all streaming platforms. Indeed. And and so once you listen to this episode and, and hear our guest, you're really gonna you're really gonna enjoy the movie because our guest is none other than one of the stars of Escape from Death Block 13, Tim Loveless. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, guys. Uh, nice to be here. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, we appreciate and, having you. And I will tell everybody before we start, you know, we'll talk about the movie here a little bit. Like Jason and I have seen the, we've seen the movie. Tim, you've, you've seen the movie. I think you are one of the uh, best parts of the movie. I mean, you're, you're, really? your acting is, is phenomenal in the movie. Well, Jason, thank you. I appreciate yes, that. Yes, other than, other than other than the beatdowns Jason put down, on a couple, <laughs> <laughs> those looked very authentic. <laughs> so, so, that was a and and Shane, you did a good job. Jason, you did a great job. Obviously, thank um, you. Thank you. You know, um, yeah, I just saw it for the first time last week, and uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a good movie. It was fun. Um, you know, of course, somebody we always talk about is uh, Chris Hahn. Yes. Know? Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yep. I think you said he's your favorite actor. Um, so, And then Tom Downey, he's also your favorite actor. So I'm, yes. like, your third, I'm yep. like your third favorite actor. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't tell Chris. And Chris doesn't listen because he can't figure out how to push play. But actually, he's way down the list. But I just like to make him feel good. <laughs> but I do enjoy everything I've seen Tom Downey in and Tim and Tim, you in, you guys steal the show. Yeah, you and guys. I oh, thanks. Yeah, you guys. I mean, we can great. go through we, we can go through the list of some of the stuff you've been in. The The Wind Walker, uh, that was like a a Wendigo movie. That was it was right. Okay. Yep. That's a pretty creepy, scary movie that was that you were great in. Axe Giant, The Wrath of Paul Bunyan, another movie that you co-starred in with Chris, like our buddy Gary Jones. With uh, Tom, Tom Downey. Tom, Tom Downey, yes, Tom Downey's in it. And for people yeah. – so and so we're kind of like The Wind Walker, Axe Giant, those are kind of cool movies. They're kind of scary, kind of – you know, there's some uh, – you know, mon- creature stuff in them, you know, for Halloween, if you want to find a couple cool movies to, uh, you know, to, you know, enjoy this Halloween weekend. But the one that really, that, that was, would you say is your first big break in the movies that is become a cult classic? I know it's one of Jason's favorite favorites is Mosquito. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mosquito. Mosquito. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was literally a dream come true for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, I, and I, I will I'll tell you why here real quickly. Okay, so, sure, sure. So I grew up watching all the horror movies, watching giant bug movies. Now in Ohio, you had the Ghoul. Do you guys remember the Ghoul? Yes. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. So the Ghoul started out in Detroit, and I lived outside of Detroit. I lived in, in you know outside Ann Arbor. Um, but then we also had a guy by the name of Sir Graves Gasly and Sir Graves Gasly was a horror show host 
that showed horror movies specifically for kids. <laughs> if you wow. think about it, it was okay. you know, the, the, it was all the classics. It was uh, you know Dracula, Frankenstein, the Mummy, uh, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, and and all these and some really messed up creepy stuff like the Crawling Hand. Um, but they showed oh, a lot God. of yeah yeah stuff that you know when you're <laughs> and this you're seven, and this and this is when he was not dressed like a cr- clown driving an ice cream truck. <laughs> <laughs> so Sir, Sir Graves was like the, uh, you know, the camera would go up the uh, the driveway at the beginning and the gates would open and there'd be fog. And then he'd rise up out of a casket and he'd be like, yeah, hello, kitties. <laughs> 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 and it, it was literally a horror show host for kids. And you could you could uh, draw pictures and send them in and he would show them anyway to like the holler would say, I'm going to make a long story longer. He would uh, <laughs> 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 he, he would uh, show movies uh on saturday mornings um specifically with a kid audience which back in the day we were you know we were tougher back then in the 70s <laughs> but yeah i can't disagree yeah, that's true <laughs> yeah so um so that was a cool thing and i and i loved those style of movies and and so when i had an opportunity um to give you a little background on Mosquito, um, I was an actor in Detroit. I had done a lot of theater. Um, I had done a lot of commercial work. I had done a lot of what they call industrial films. Those are like training videos. And I went in for an audition, and I was super stoked about the audition before I even went because my agent called and said, we want you to audition for the role of a werewolf. And I was like, oh, I got to get this. I got to get this. I don't even know what it's for, but I got to get it. It's for a TV commercial. Okay, fine. I show up and there's a guy there. Um, I took a photo album because they said, uh, my agent said, one of the things you're going to want to know is, can you wear prosthetics? Can you, can you spend a lot of time in makeup? Well, I, that was the thing that I had been interested in anyway. So I had a whole photo album of me as the Wolfman from prosthetics that I had built. I had, uh, you know, I, I used to do Halloween costume contest is Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, and I did all of these things. So I brought this whole photo album to show this special effects artist who was going to be handling the makeup and the director who were both going to be at the audition. And the special effects artist turned out to be Gary Jones, who was oh. the director <laughs> of Mosquito. Mm-hmm. Nice. And so, yeah. So I got the part of the werewolf which was super cool. It was an old black and white commercial. It was kind of a throwback. I was the werewolf. We had, a, um, we had Frankenstein and then we had, I think it was the mummy. It was like 30 years ago, but anyway, I got the part of the werewolf. So I had to go to his effects studio to get uh, a head casting done where they make a, basically a mold of your head, a very detailed mold of your head so they can build the prosthetics. And when I walked into the studio, I saw all these giant rubber mosquitoes. I saw storyboards on the wall. Um, and it was just like walking into the coolest thing I had ever personally witnessed in my life. And I sat down in the chair and the first thing I said is, what is, what is all this? And he said, I'm making a movie. It's called Mosquito. Well, at the time it was called Blood Fever. He says, it's going to be about giant killer mosquitoes. And I said, dude, I have got to be in this. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a shot. You come down for the audition, and I did, and, and the rest is history. So, but it was uh, probably one of the greatest experiences in my life. <laughs> it's and, and I catch much flack because I own Mosquito, but I've yet to watch it. Oh come on so. now, you have to watch that group. <laughs> my goodness, jeez, that's sacrilegious. 
I was reluctant to actually do this when you told me you hadn't watched Mosquito. So <laughs> listen, oh listen, it's, listen, it's been busy. It's been busy the last couple of years. That's okay, really Tim. I'm gonna get on him on this one. <laughs> Jason, hey man, I appreciate the fact that you know you understand the value of a good giant bug movie and Absolutely. you take the time out of your life. Yes. To, to watch it. <laughs> well, I would okay. So I encourage everybody listening all over the world. Find mosquito. Some what is is pro, is it probably on YouTube or is well, it streaming anywhere? So in 2015, we released the because we made the movie in '95, mm-hmm. or we actually made it in '93. It was released in '95, and in in uh, 2015, we did a 20th anniversary DVD release, which was remastered. Um, it's got you know I think it's 7.0 sound or whatever. But, that's um, and that's what and that's what I own. Unopened. Yep, me but too. I have Gary okay. Jones signature on it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and it's uh, it's it was put out by Synapse, which anybody that knows the horror movies knows and understands that Synapse does a fantastic job um, when they remaster and they go back and they take an old movie because we shot it on sixteen, we blew it up to thirty five, and then um, you know the movie was released. It, it actually aired for like ten years on the USA Network, and then ultimately switched over to the Sci Fi Channel, and then it went dark for a while because um, Gary Jones owned it. And he, or it was in the process of trying to get it back, I should say. So Gary Jones got the movie back and then, you know, went, it was kind of dark for a while. You couldn't see it. Uh, DVD prices, uh, it became a collectible. I saw it advertised for as much as like $500 for the DVD. And I'm just thinking about all the ones I gave away to my friends. <laughs> <You know? laughs> now, wait a second. How much? How much? How much like, is it? At, at the time, the original DVD, because it was released on VHS, that it came out on DVD. Um, and then it was out of print and you couldn't find it. And so you you could go on Amazon, it became a collectible. And so they were asking a a crazy amount of money for it. And I mean, I literally had 50 copies I gave away and I gave away one, you know, to a guy on an airplane one day I was sitting next to, I was flying up for a job and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm an actor. He's like, yeah, what are you doing? I'm like, Hey, here's one of my movies. You know, I'm thinking to myself, I just, yeah. You know, fast forward 10 years, I gave that dude $500. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yes, man. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, so it, it came out in 2015. That is the DVD slash Blu-ray release. So you could, you know, it came out as uh, as an either or. Um, and then in that was a lot of special features, one of which is a making of Mosquito called Bugging Out, which is, I believe, almost like... 70 minutes or 80 minutes of behind the scenes. And when I got to see that, um, that to me was, it took me back, you know, to the times when we made it. I can't, you know, I remembered a lot of the times we spent on the set, but when I got to watch bugging out, um, the making of it, it was, it was so cool. And what's really cool is that the fans of the movie have all said, you know, this is fantastic. We love the fact that it was remastered, but this fact that we got the making of, is literally almost kind of like a miniature film school and how to make a how to make a you know a B horror movie. So yeah, yeah well, that's cool. So I, so hopefully everybody that's listening, if they can't get the DVD, they can find it somewhere streaming well, somewhere. You, it's got to be stream trouble. it. Yeah, you can stream it. I think if you go to Amazon, you can buy it digitally. Okay, um, yeah. and then probably on other formats as well. So. But, yeah, so yeah. everybody for Halloween, go go stream Mosquito. Go download it and watch it. You know, you won't be disappointed. I'm not going to, but I encourage everybody else to 
<laughs> hey. hey, hopefully by the time this airs, I will have at least got to. I'll at least break open my DVD and watch it. I so. hope so. I hope. I hope. I, I do too. I mean, oh look at the time. I, hey, you know what, Shane? I gotta go alphabetize my crayons. Hey, it's been nice talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But then, but then, so, so, what did you, what did you think before? You know, before we get into what you're really on here for, what did you, what did you think about Escape from? What would you tell all the people about Escape from Death Block Thirteen after watching it? Why they should watch it? Why after they watch Mosquito? Why they should go watch watch that stream that? Okay, so Mosquito is sci-fi horror, and Gary Jones—that was a genre that he kind of cut his teeth in. Uh, he worked on some of the Evil Dead movies, um, and it was a sci-fi or was a I'm sorry, a special effects guy for like Hard Target with Jean Claude Van Damme. That was his thing. But he always wanted to make one of the old classic, you know, Charles Bronson esque. Um, 70s action movies, which is what he set out to do with Escape from Death Block 13. So, of course, you know, we have Robert Bronzy, who looks <laughs> exactly, like, not just, like, not yeah. resembles, looks exactly yeah. like Charles Bronson. Yes, yep. Bronzy, does. Bronzy is a spitting image of Charles and, Bronson. And he is fantastic. And, and he's great in the movie. He's Hungarian. And he um, he was a lot of fun to work with, did a did a fantastic job. But uh, he I think he knew at a very early age that he resembled Charles Bronson, because when I met him, uh, it was like meeting Charles Bronson. And (laughs) (laughs) it 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 really really was. was. Yeah. You guys met him. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was one of the people I got to beat down in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he and I. We went to dinner one night and we're standing there as me and Jeff Miller and Chris and, and Bronzy and these couple come up and they said, Hey, do you know you look just like Charles Bronson? <laughs> 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 it's like, uh, no. Uh, no, you're the person. It's like, yeah, yeah. So of course Bronzy knows taking pictures with them and stuff. And cause he's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's a really great guy. Fantastic guy. Loved yep. it. I got to hang out with him on set and help him, you know, work through some of his lines and stuff. Cause he's, you know, his English is, you know, good, but not, you know, he wanted to know if he was putting the right emphasis on certain points and things. So right. I kind of worked through the script with him as well. So, but yeah, so death block 13 coming out streaming. Um, it's fantastic. It's got, you know, Nicholas Totoro in there, you know, which people recognize from NYPD Blue. He was mm-hmm. also on uh, Blue Bloods. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence Hilton Jacobs, who's been on like a hundred different TV shows. But incidentally, and what's cool about this is he was like one of the, you know, quote unquote bums, you know, in the original Death Wish, Death Wish movie. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, and he's fantastic in this movie, you know, and everybody mm-hmm. does a oh, great yeah. job. Of course, you know, our buddy Chris Hahn is in it. Um, Chris's yeah. character is spot on. I mean, he's, it's, it's a fun movie. You got to go, you got to watch it and expect to have fun. It's the seventies action movie where, you know, basically the innocent guy, uh, he's kind of sort of innocent. He ends up in jail and has, <laughs> has to get his way has, uh, in prison, has to break his way out. So yeah, good times. Yeah, there's cool a, a lot, a lot of action, a lot of fighting. Um, I mean, and for my money, it's probably got one of the best theme songs I've ever heard. For Did you write it? 
Yes, I did. So, uh, <laughs> it, it so, was a great, it was a great theme song. I'll give you. <laughs> well, you know, our instructions were from Gary is like, I want something that feels like a seventies, like music, like some seventies music. And I'm like, okay. So we're like kicking around the ideas and like, let's do this, you know, something that feels like shaft with, you know, some rock, right. some rock and roll. And how do we combine those? And, um, you know, I look, I don't know how we did it, but cause that's not my, that's not my genre, but it's, it's always fun to create, you know, this is like, it's fun to make movies. It's fun to make music. It's, it's fun to make, the, do the podcast. It's fun to create. And we just, you know, it's fun when people enjoy your work. So I think everybody will enjoy Escape from Death Block 13, you know. I think they definitely will. Especially Absolutely. especially especially our audience that likes um you know, that likes the act cuz we know we got a lot of people that love like the howler and love like the the stories that we tell. That feels like Escape from Death Block 13. So, but and and like I said Tim, you do a great job at it. You do a really Thank great you. job. Um so and it was a lot of fun. And and the best part about that, and you will, you know, you've been in quite a few movies, is the relationships and the friendships that you get out of it. You know, that right. you, you know, people that you would never otherwise meet. Um, I mean, our paths would have never crossed. And, True. and you know, and I I can call you a friend, man. I mean, there's no other way. I mean, it's it's you know absolutely I would have never I would have kind of I, that was where I first met Jason. Yeah, that's true. We even, that's true. Yeah, it was the yeah. first time I'd ever met Jason was on that set when we when we killed somebody together. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> so this this podcast is a result of uh of a movie relationship from Deathlock 13. It was when yeah. when 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 we were talking about starting the podcast and Chris said, "Look, you need to talk to Jason." And I'm like, well, which one's Jason? He was in the movie. The guy yeah. with the big beard. And I'm like, oh, I know. I remember Jason. So yeah. awesome. So, yeah. Love it. I love it. So hey, and while we're on the topic, um, you know, you talk about relationships that you make in movies. Um, so you know, Tom Downey. Obviously, I worked with him on uh, X Giant. Um, fantastic guy. Chris Hahn worked with him on X Giant, and then again on Death Block Thirteen. Um, some of the people that I've been able to work with. I am just amazed. Well, first of all, I mean, Mosquito, we didn't mention this yet, but Gunner Leatherface Hansen mm -hmm. is one of the stars of Mosquito. Yes, and he is was. the original Leatherface from the 1974 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yep. And um, so I worked with him. I got to know him really well. We became friends, got to hang out with him. And unfortunately, he passed away. Um, but in the process, it was a relationship um, that him, Gary Jones, uh, myself, and then Ron Ashton, who also is in Mosquito and is the lead guitarist from Iggy and the Stooges, the original punk rock band. Um, and here's the, here's the crazy, crazy part about that. Ron Ashton and I were on the set of Mosquito, and we had actually worked on a feature film earlier um, called The Carrier, which was a, a low-budget shot in the same general vicinity but we never crossed paths on the set but on the set of mosquito we had to work together quite a bit 
And Ron and I got to talking. I'm like, where are you from? And he's like, Ann Arbor. I'm like, I'm from Ann Arbor. He's like, what street did you grow up on? So I told him and he's like, ah, I live on that street. And I'm like, how long you live there? He's like, yeah, 25 years. I'm like, what side of the street? And it, it, it turned out that Ron and I lived about 10 houses apart from each other and never knew each other. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> how crazy is that? Now, this I guy's know. a legendary He's a legendary guitarist. He was ranked, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the top, I think he's like 32nd or 36th or whatever in uh, Rolling Stone, all time, you know, greatest guitarist of all time. And of course, you know, Iggy and the Stooges broke up. The Stooges went their own way. Iggy became this, you know, huge famous act. Well, then later, after I met Ron and, you know, I worked on two different movies with Ron, um, we became, you know, close and I'd hang out with him. And um, we found out, you know, that obviously we lived on the same street. But the crazy part is, is that once we started talking about it on the set, I realized he was the guy that I was scared of when I was a kid. (laughs) 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 And here's why, because he used to dress in all black and he wore mirror shades. He had a girlfriend who was uh, Niagara, Detroit, who was a lead singer in Destroy All Monsters, which is a Detroit based band. And they would stand out there and he would, he would smoke his cigarettes on the sidewalk. And I would be a kid riding my bike down the sidewalk. And I'd see this guy dressed in black (laughs) smoking the cigarette. And he'd look at me like, what do you want kid? And his girlfriend wore these like knee high boots and a leopard print jacket. And they just looked like, you know, the kid, the people my parents warned me about. (laughs) (laughs) And then later um, I ended up getting a a 73 Mach one Mustang with, with Corvette side pipes out of straight headers. And I would fly up and down the road and he would yell at me, slow down kid. (laughs) And he, and he remembered me. That doesn't sound very punk rock telling somebody slow down. I mean, come on. Well, you know, it was, it was a neighborhood. Okay. So, so he would, uh, he remembered me as the kid with the canary yellow Mustang that was super loud. used to go too fast. And I remembered him as a scary guy. So (laughs) that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Oh boy. Small well, world, ain't it? <laughs> it is. It, it how, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's um, you know, since it is Halloween, let's get into some of the real reasons that we're we're having you on cuz I mean, nobody wants to hear us talk about movies. I mean, really? I mean, come on. Let's talk about some some UFOs and some ghosts and some paranormal stuff. Right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, 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 take us down the path of some of the experiences that you have had. Okay. Well, first of all, when I tell the story of my UFO experience, if I were listening to me, I would think this guy belongs in a trailer park around Jerry Springer, or you know, he. <laughs> So I, I'm always reluctant to tell people about it, but I will tell you this. Okay. So it was May 9th of 2012. And I remember the day, I remember the year, I remember the, um, the events of that night. Um, and, and until that point when somebody told me, Oh, I saw a UFO, I thought, Oh, okay. So you're a crazy person. Huh? Thanks for the warning. <laughs> Or I would say, I would think to myself, oh, they saw something they couldn't explain and therefore it became a UFO in their mind or, um, you know, there was, there was a way to rationalize away the story that they were telling until May 9th, 2012. And I'll, I'll walk through what happened. So, uh, I live in rural Northern Michigan 
in in a you know a small outside of a small community. I live out in the country, and across from my house, it's nothing but woods. Um, and I had a garden, and it was the you know the the uh, strawberries had blossomed, and I had a big strawberry patch that I had planted. My wife likes to make uh, strawberry jam and preserves and all that. So she was worried because they were calling for a hard freeze that night. And so, you know, here I am sitting in my chair and she's getting ready to go to bed. And she comes out and she says, hey, do you think you need to cover the strawberries up? And I said, no, they're fine. They're strawberries. They're hardy. They're used to taking a frost because it's going to be cold tonight. It could get, you know, below 20. Um, I would feel a lot better if you cover them up. I don't want to lose the strawberry crop. So reluctantly, I'm like, eh, right. So I grabbed my helmet, which had a spotlight on it because I raise and train coon dogs. And that was my coon hunting light that I threw on my head. And it's very bright and it can shine a tree from 100 yards away. And I threw it on my head and I threw my you know knee-high rubber boots on. And I slept out to the garage to dig out some tarps. And I thought, okay, I'll go out there and, and throw some tarps down. So I walk outside. It was already cold. You could already see your breath pretty good. Um, and the temperature was dropping. And I walked into the garage. I got the tarps. And I'm dragging them across the yard, kind of just slapping along. And out of habit, I shine the trees across the road from my house, which are big, tall white pines and red pines. And when I shined the tallest tree, I saw an orange light appear in the tree. And I thought, oh, there's an eye of some kind of animal up there, but it's pretty large, doesn't seem normal. And it didn't instantly come on when I hit it with my light. There was a bit of a delay, which confused me for a second, but I thought, well, you know, see what this is, you know? So as I'm looking at it, it got a little bit bigger and it was like an orange glowing ball and it appeared to be in the tree. So I'm sta <laughs> standing there with a tarp in each hand and I'm dragging behind me. And I'm staring up at this tree thinking, what is that? So I reach up, turn off my light. And then like a couple of beats, like a couple of seconds, then the light went out. And it wasn't instantaneous, so I knew it wasn't a reflection. And so I thought, that's really odd. I thought, well, it's got to be a logical explanation. Maybe it was uh, you know, a Chinese lantern, which you know, most of the people that see the orange orb are probably seeing Chinese lanterns. Um, so I turned my light back on and I shined the tree and a couple beats later, the light came back on and I didn't know, you know, I'm seeing this and I'm thinking that doesn't make any sense. I've spent hundreds and hundreds, you know, literally thousands of nights in the woods with just me and a dog. I hunt some pretty remote areas in the pigeon river country up here. Um, it's several, you know, hundred thousand acres of woods that I spend a lot of time in just me and a dog. And I hadn't seen anything unusual at that point, you know? And so I'm staring at it I turn my light off again to see what would happen. A couple of beats go by and it goes out again. And so now I'm really confused. Turn my light on again. This time it lights up to the right of the tree. And I realize it's, it's in the air. And it doesn't appear to be that far away from me. And that's when I was like, okay, this is something. Because it was perfectly still that night. There's no light pollution where I live. Um, you can see the Milky Way, you know, on a, on a 
clear night like that. And there was no moon out. It was just super bright um, as far as starlight goes. But there was nothing else in the sky except for this big, what appeared to be like a burning ball. Like it would, you know, it kind of looked like the sun in you know, in the daylight, but it was, it appeared to be burning. So I'm staring at it. And as I stare at it, it splits into three and it begins to rotate in a circle. And then it goes back into one and then it goes out. And at this point I run into the house because I have, (laughs) 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 I I, I not out of fear. I wanted another witness to, because I knew that I was going to question this later. I knew I was like, this, this, you know, there's something weird here. So my wife, who's already, you know, in her pajamas, she's in bed and I run and I go, where's the video camera? And I had a Sony PD 150, which is a, you know, three chip production quality camera that I used. And I said, where's the video camera? She said, it's over there. So I grabbed the video camera. I go, you got to come out here. You got to come out here right now. There's something out there. I need you to see this. So we go back out there. And of course I got the camera. Uh, it's got a little flip out screen on it. And there's nothing there. And I'm explaining to her what I saw. And she's like, yeah, well, it's cold out here. I'm going to go back in. I go, no, you got to wait. So I turn my light back on again. I turn my light off again. And she's about ready to go back in the house. And all of a sudden it lights up. And it's right there. And I said, do you see it? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, what do you think it is? And she's like, I don't know. But it's cold out here. And I'm like, well, no, wait. (laughs) Do you not understand the magnitude of the moment? You know? <laughs> because she hasn't seen it split into three and like it do a certain, you know, rotate right. around. Right. She, not at that point she hadn't, but then she did because then I said, no, wait, 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 wait. I said, keep looking at it. And it splits into three again and it rotates. It goes back into one and it literally jets across the horizon as far as you can see in the blink of an eye and is gone. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And it it was at that moment that I was like, that is something that either we have far more advanced military capabilities and why they would be over my house in, you know, Northern Michigan in the middle of nowhere on a, on a cold May night, you know, is beyond me. Or we just saw something that really can't be explained by, you know, what we know to be true in science right now. Um, and so, at that point, she's like, "Whoa, that was that was weird." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that was that was weird, you know." And again, you know, I I hear myself telling the story, and if I were listening to this right now, like the listeners are, I would be like, "Well, it could be this, it could be this, could no, it, you know, it was super. It never made a sound." Um, and of course, you know, like everybody back in that time, I was hesitant to tell people, but I'm like, I gotta, I gotta find out if anybody around here saw this. I live in a small community. We all know each other. Mm-hmm. And so I posted on Facebook. I'm like, you know, I guess you could call me a crazy person because I just saw a UFO. Did anybody else see it? And some people that I consider to be reputable, upstanding people within this community also saw the same thing. A couple people saw on the same night something different. 10 miles to the west at the exact same time that I was seeing what I was seeing from my house to the east. And oh wow. Yeah. So what one of the one of the stories I got was uh you know a good friend of mine who is a fire chief so to speak. Um he was driving down one of the main roads 
and he said that he saw the orange light in the sky to the north, but west of my my location. But he saw it to the north of where he was, and it appeared that it wasn't that far away. So he pulled off the side of the road and got out to look at it just to figure out what it was. And he said as he looked at it, he saw something that appeared to be cigar-shaped, and it appeared to be oscillating like it was reflecting starlight, but it was blocking out stars at the same time, if that makes sense. You could see the shape of something that seemed to be somewhat twinkling, like it was reflecting the starlight, and it was moving slowly, and this orange ball was with it and was following it. And he said it was very large. Um, incidentally, I have another good friend of mine who was a guy that, you know, if, he's, if he tells you something, he's, he doesn't talk a lot to begin with. He's, uh, I would say, one of the more credible people I know. He doesn't, you know, he's not going to exaggerate anything. He's just a, you know, straightforward guy. And he contacted me and he said, I saw something over my field. Well, where my other buddy was, was in the vicinity of where this guy saw this out the window of his house. He said he was sitting in his house looking out the window and he saw this bright ball out the window. So he walked outside to see what it was. And that's where he could see the same thing where it appeared to, he said it was close. It appeared to be a hundred yards long. It was just over top of his field moving slowly to the East. And since then, so this, so they're seeing this great big giant object the same night, but 10 miles away. Correct. And you're seeing like something that is a is a much smaller object, like maybe it came from that object. Then that's kind of like the like what you're is that what you're thinking? Maybe is is like you're like that's the mothership, and these are like little scouts out checking out or digging around or uh, you looking, know I'm- looking for looking for suckers. Out by themselves, <laughs> covering the strawberries. Strawberry. Yeah, yeah. I kept waiting for you to say. I kept what I kept waiting for you was the dramatic pause of your wife's going. Hey, did you ever cover the strawberries? By the way, <laughs> I guess what I was waiting for. She did ask me that, and in <laughs> fact. She said, she said to me, um, before she walked back in the house, I said, I'm going to stay out here for a while and see if anything comes back. We did see, um, two objects off in the distance, which there is a strategic air command base. Um, that's probably as the crow flies about 60 miles from my house. We did see what looked like two jets come up and, and travel from the South to the North. And then it looked like they paused, but it took me a second to realize they had changed direction. They were coming like directly at me. And then they headed back to the South. Um, as if they were heading out to see, Investi- you know, investigate what in- they were. investigate what showed up on the radar. I, I guess is the only thing I could think of. But my wife says to me, she goes, it's, "Well, it's really cold. I'm going to go in right now. But I'm going to tell you right now, if you come in here uh, asking for sugar later on, I can't promise you that you're not going to get shot." <laughs> Which is a reference to Men in Black. If you've seen the movie Men in Black. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! So, so. <laughs> So it obviously made you feel better that some other people in the community backed up. Oh, what absolutely! You, what you saw, what you saw, absolutely, yeah. And then you know, much like close encounters of the third kind, you become obsessed with trying to understand what it is that you know you witnessed, and you know, or what you experienced. And so I began a search online, and I found out that the orange orb is a really common. UFO type sighting that happens all over the planet and that northern Michigan, especially over like the Lake, Lake Michigan side, uh, is a an area where it's seen on a on a regular basis, so to speak. And 
Um, and so I didn't feel completely crazy at that point, but I've watched well, videos. Oh gosh. That's well now how deep is Lake Michigan? It's pretty deep, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Never been to the bottom of it, but <laughs> but, but I'm saying though, it's like uh, it's like, a great like, lake. <laughs> well, let me tell you, we got Lake Erie, and it's not really that great. Um, well, it's, it's not yeah. Lake Erie it's is very, not very shallow. That's its problem. <laughs> yeah, it's very shallow. So what you know, what I'm getting at is, is that you know, a lot of people, the theory is, is that UFOs are really from this planet, and that a lot of them are underwater. Come, you know, they're the aliens. Or the uh, otherworldly beings are underwater. Like maybe there's a maybe there's a base in Lake Michigan. You know, you I, know I've I've heard that. I've I've seen some of the um, footage that people have you know said that hey this thing rose up out of the ocean or this thing rose up out of here or there or whatever. Um, and yeah, I mean, who knows? At that you know up until that point in my life, I was. Like Carl Sagan said, you know, to assume that you're the only intelligent, you know, being in the universe would be arrogant uh, or something along that lines. I, I felt the same way, but I never really thought that we, you know, this little, you know, floating, you know, green and blue blob in the middle of anywhere would be of interest to anybody, you know. Um, but, you know, was it was it a UFO? Was it extraterrestrial? I don't know. But was it? unexplainable absolutely without a doubt because the speed at which it traveled the characteristics of it the way it split into three went back together um combined with what other eyewitnesses you know in the area saw the same night there's just there is no explanation for it that i'm aware yeah. of. And, and you know and hearing and hearing this from you okay i mean i know how credible how credible you are as far as you know, you have a, you know, you have a pretty well-educated background. I mean, you're, you do some scientific stuff, right? I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, I, you're not, you're not just some back no. guy that lives on the back road. <laughs> no, from right. okay? Science, science and art were my two strongest topics all the way through school. That was, you know, the two things that I was most interested in came naturally, naturally to me. And I was always had a, you know, I always felt like I didn't, you know, I never had to work hard to, to do well in science classes. It's just something I kind of, I'm a logical person. I try to rationalize everything. Um, and I kind of get it, you know, especially when it comes to nature and, you know, the outdoors, I spent a tremendous amount of time of my life in the outdoors and to have seen something that I hadn't witnessed before up to that point was unique. Wow. Well, now did you get, did you end up getting it on your video camera? Um, good. That's a, that's an excellent question. So here's what happened. I flipped the screen out. I'm trying to film this thing, but, um, as you know, video cameras, everything appears further away than it looks. Um, I tried to zoom in on it. I didn't have a tripod. It's pretty shaky. So I, yes, what I got was, you know, it was bright. It was outside at night. This, this was not a, you know, fantastic camera at the time. It was a great camera for 2012. Um, but it was still a 10 year old. I want to see it was at least a 10 year old camera at that point. Um, and it just came out kind of like a, you know, there, here's a dot on the screen. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. I sent it to yeah. I sent it to a buddy of mine, a filmmaker, and you know, because he asked me if I got any video of it. I'm like, yeah, I'll send it to you. And then he, you know, I never heard back from him about it. He so, was. 
It wasn't the uh, smoking gun he had hoped. Huh? Well, no, but I mean, I still somewhere around here I got it. You know, it was, uh, you know, it's it wasn't high def. We didn't have that back then, but it was it was a good camera. Somewhere around here I got it, but it's I don't know if it's anything you could you know put through a program these days to try to get better resolution out of it or whatever. But you know, at that point it is what it is and it's not a unique experience. There's plenty of videos of the orange orb out there. You know, some of the more famous ones are the ones that were floating over Phoenix that one night, which is, you know, oh, people yeah. are familiar with UFOs know all about that one. And, uh, and, I, and I don't get the, a lot of people trying to explain stuff away as a, as a Japanese lantern. I've never seen a Japanese. I've never been anywhere where anybody <laughs> has been u- doing using a Japanese lantern. Well, they're Chinese so I, lanterns. They're Chinese lanterns. Chinese, Chinese, okay. Japanese. I, okay, it's a it's a foreign lantern that somebody's using. Now, here's I will I will say this. I have lit. Chinese lanterns and turn and turn them loose. And, you know, we've done it on, uh, on new years and things like that. You know, we send them up, they don't burn very long. It's pretty obvious what they are. You can see them flickering at a distance and right. they kind of, you know, they, they last for maybe 10, 15 minutes and then they burn out and then they fall back to earth kind of thing. And they get, they flicker mm-hmm. before they go out and they get dim. And then the thing, you know, as soon as it goes out, it descends immediately and you lose sight of it anyway. But, um, you know, I've probably lit a dozen or so, you know, with family members that, you know, we did, we did one on the shores of Lake Superior, um, on the Canada side at Superior Provincial Park and sent them across the lake, which probably, you know, spooked some people. And there's probably people telling stories about UFOs because of the Chinese lanterns that I lived in. But, but this, you know, like I said, I've got experience with them. I know what they look like. And this absolutely was not a Chinese lantern. Yeah. I mean, a Chinese lantern doesn't split into three. And then go back into one, and and then take off across the sky. At no, whatever. Speed. No, yeah. no. Doesn't, doesn't even do I know like that, that. Even I know that Japanese lantern doesn't do that. Chinese or a Chinese or a Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that's. I mean, but like I said, I you know I know I know you well enough to know that you you know if you're telling the story that you you at the at the point in time where you're doing some critical thinking, trying to figure out what it was you were seeing because you wouldn't just say, Hey, look, I think I saw a UFO. You would, you would probably try to eliminate anything, any possibility. You and know? I did. Yeah. 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 So well, that's, that's uh, well, and now the more that we have learned in these last 10 years since then, it may really makes you probably wonder like, okay, um, what were they doing out there? Like, what is it, you know, what, what are they visiting my little neck of the woods for? Right. Yeah. You know, checking on my strawberries. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, like, what, like, like, what is going on out there that you're really not telling us about? Tim? So, that- so here's the thing is, is uh, you know, the part of Michigan that I live in, we sit on one of the largest natural gas reserves um, mm, known yeah. And they don't tap into it because of H2S, which is, uh, what is it, hydrogen sulfide, something like that. But if you, if there's enough of this toxic gas mixed in with it, if you were to release it, it could wipe out the entire state. Um, so, you know, is, does that have anything to do with it? We have oil and gas wells around where I live. You know, there's, there's a small uh, oil production, you know, where we have pump jacks and things in the woods that, you know, pump 
you know, oil up out of the ground around here, crude oil. So, you know, does that have anything to do with it? Is it the fact that it's one of the largest, you know, reserves of fresh water? Because where I live is near the Straits of Mackinac, where uh, you've got Lake Michigan on one side, Lake Huron on the other. And I'm only, you know, as the crow flies about 20 miles from Lake Huron and probably about 30 miles from Lake Michigan. So, you know, up at the tip of lower Michigan. And so does that have anything to do with it? I don't know. But, it, you know, like I said, I try to rationalize everything and I don't have any answers. So there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just odd. Like, like not even near a big city, not near, you know, like what, what would a extraterrestrial being intelligent being be doing out in the middle of the woods, just checking, checking you out. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Well, is, is it an extraterrestrial? Is it a being or is it an energy force? You know, is it something that we can't even wrap our heads around? That's Which what we need to is, find out. There you go. Yep. Well, okay. So now that we got the UFO story down, <laughs> uh, wow. What? So I can't wait to hear these ghost stories because uh, I mean, let's uh, let's let's get into it. Well, tell us about your uh, experiences in the paranormal. So, and again, you know, me trying to rationalize everything. You know, it's like. Does this stuff happen? Does it exist? And I listen. And I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of your podcast. I listen to your guests. Um, I listen to. I haven't listened to every episode, but I'm getting close. And I hear some of these things. And and whether it's um, you know any of the paranormal stuff that I hear, a lot of times I hear things and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm talking. That's what I witnessed, or that's what I felt, or that's what I saw. And you know, I think a lot of people that have had some type of experience, you know, when they hear other people talk about it, it kind of makes them a little more open to maybe discussing it. But as a kid, I lived in an old house that was built in the 1800s and it was outside of the city limits of Ann Arbor. It was before we had moved to town. And there were things that, you know, your parents protect you from that later they said, yeah, there was some things that we heard. And, and one of them I heard mentioned on your podcast not that long ago was um, as a kid, I would lay in bed and I would hear dishes breaking. And I would hear it sounded like someone was going through the cupboard, just throwing everything on the floor and smashing. And my parents heard it, too. And I would, you know, I'd get scared and I would, you know, lay in bed as a little kid. You know, do you cover your head up or, you know, do you run to your parents' room? And if you run to your parents' room, there's a risk that something's going to get you. you know? so, <laughs> yeah. Well, so, because if you hear dishes breaking, you almost have to think there's somebody in there real in your house, like right. physically breaking dishes. Right. Like, or, yeah. You know, or, or do, you know, did your parents drop a bunch of dishes and stuff? And so, you know, the next morning I'd go down there. There'd be nothing out of place. All the dishes are in the cupboard. And, you know, we moved out of that house when I was 10 years old. So a lot of these these memories are somewhat vague. But later, you know, talking to, you know, my parents, they said, yeah, we, you know, that's something that we heard, too. And we just didn't, you know, we didn't really know what to do or, you know, there was no explanation for it. Um, so it begs the question, I guess, you know, when you're talking about ghosts, you know, or spirits or whatever. Um, and I've heard this mentioned before. And again, a lot of the guests I listen to and I'm like, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think too, is that there's an energy field, you know, left behind by people. Yeah. And yeah. I think the judge, the judge talks about it really, really well on your program where, you know, he talks about, you know, the first law of thermodynamics that energy can either be created or destroyed. And that that's kind of the same way that I approach these things is that, um, there is an energy 
it's, you know, sometimes perhaps left behind, caught in limbo or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also a person where it's like, you know, give me some proof. Show me something that, you know, tells me that they're that this is real. And there is really nothing out there. And I watch a lot of the TV shows, you know, um, and I'm not sold on all of them. You know, I'm still a very skeptical kind of person. I don't accept things at, at face value as, oh, yeah, it's a ghost. You know, I'm like, OK, it's something. But is it a ghost? Is it an energy field? Is it, you know, you know, something crossing over from another dimension. I mean, you gotta, you gotta keep things, you know, the door open to all different possibilities, I guess. And that was one of the experiences I had when I was young. Then, um, we moved to town, didn't really have any crazy things going on. You know, we moved to a neighborhood that backed up to a cemetery of which I practically spent the remainder of my childhood in that cemetery as a backyard and never, truly experienced anything that I thought would have been paranormal out of the cemetery. Although the, the groundskeeper at that cemetery, um, I talked to her on a regular basis and she told me all kinds of crazy stories, things that went on because it was a very old cemetery. A lot of people in there from the early 1800s cause Ann Arbor was settled, you know, about that time. So, um, but I never really personally experienced anything, but then, uh, I left in 84 to go to basic training or boot camp for the Marine Corps. And in the process, my parents sold that house and they moved into a farmhouse um, out in, you know, kind of the Dexter area, which is west of Ann Arbor. Um, And it was an old farmhouse and I didn't think anything of it. Um, But there were things that happened there. Um, One of which my parents, uh, my mom said to me one day, she's like, do you smoke? Because when I got, you know, I came back from the Marine Corps, I was, you know, in the reserve. So I moved back home while I was working and she's like, do you smoke? And I'm like, no, I don't smoke. I've never smoked. I never plan on smoking. And why would you ask? And she said, because the other night your dad and I were sitting here, we smelled smoke. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe, you know, it's in the country. The closest house was probably a hundred yards down the road. And that was the only other house that was anywhere nearby. Um, but it was in the wintertime. So we had the windows closed up and this house had, had been originally built. I want to say in around the 1840s and it had been added on to several times. So my parents did an ad- addition on the house. And in the process, when they took out one of the walls, they found bricks in the walls and, and rather than insulation, it, it had bricks stacked from the f- floor to the ceiling. And the, the guy that was doing the work on it said that that's actually common for houses for that addition would have been built probably during the civil war. And people put that in there in case a battle would have broke out, um, that musket balls wouldn't come through the house and kill somebody. Oh, I found I, I never, yeah, I'd never heard that. I'd never heard that. Holy I never, I never heard it either. Um, makes sense though. But then, yeah. Yeah. And so one night I'm sitting there with my parents and I'm sitting in the living room and it was in the wintertime. The windows were all closed up and I smelled cigarette smoke as if there was somebody sitting right next to me smoking a cigarette. And I kind of looked around a little bit. I kind of, you know, kind of confused. And I looked at my mom and she's like, you smell it, don't you? And I'm like, yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and there's no and you can't see any smoke there's no like nope it, nope yep 
it was as if, you know, and as if somebody were there in the room with us and they were smoking and, you know, you're smelling it. It's gotta, you know, gotta be there. It's gotta, there's gotta be some, there gotta be a reason why you can actually smell it, even though you can't see it. But yeah, it was uh plain as day. And, uh, that was just one of the many episodes in that house. Um, it was an old house that like many old farmhouses, um, had a very steep staircase that went up off the living room with a door that closed it off. We didn't have ductwork in the upstairs because it was all through, you know, open grates that would go up to other rooms. So the heat would radiate upwards. Um, and then I was actually, it was the middle of the day one time and I was the only one home and I was on my way to an audition for, um, a job. I don't even remember what job it was, but I jumped in my car and I was getting ready to pull out the driveway and I thought, oh, I forgot to grab a headshot, you know? So I got to take it, you know, you have to take a headshot to every audition, which is your picture with your resume on the back. Mm-hmm. And so I threw the car in neutral, uh, put on the parking brake, ran into the house and I had transition lenses on my glasses, which had already started to change. And the, you know, it's a farmhouse, it's dark, there weren't any lights on, nobody's home. I took my glasses off and I set them on the kitchen table and I had an Irish setter and she followed me upstairs to where my bedroom was. And I ran up into my bedroom and I had that moment where you, you know, I was in a hurry. I didn't want to be late. And I thought, okay, what am I up here for? Oh, headshot. Well, when I took that pause, I heard a knocking coming from the attic door, which was a side door off the staircase that went out over top of the dining room. And it was as plain as day, like somebody knocking on a door and it came from there. And I thought, you know, it took me a second to go, was that, a, you know, somebody knocking downstairs? That's awful loud. Well, my Irish setter was staring at that door and her hair raised as she started growling at that attic door. And so by this point, we'd had several, I don't know, whatever you want to call them, you know, paranormal experiences in the house to where I jokingly said, all right, listen, Mr. Ghost, I don't have time for this. I'm in a hurry. So could you knock it off? Got my head shot. I ran back downstairs, went to grab my glasses off the table. They were gone. What? They were gone. (laughs) Okay. Nobody had been there. I looked outside the driveway to make sure somebody hadn't come home. I looked, you know, and now I'm running around the house, basically like, where are my glasses? They were gone. So I jumped in my car, drove to my audition, did my thing, came back. Six months later, my dad was watering a plant that was in the corner of the living room on the opposite side of that staircase. And he pulls my glasses out of the plant. They were hanging in the plant. He goes, are these the glasses you've been looking for? Wow. I was like, like, yeah. (laughs) So. Oh, the only thing that would have made that that creepier is if those glasses would have been behind that door where that knock came from. I mean, like, did you immediately regret saying something to the ghost when you went downstairs and couldn't find your glasses? I I honestly felt like, okay, he's playing with me. You know, this is, (sighs) you know, he's having his moment. <laughs> you know? Wow! And like I said, we never had, we never had any scary um, encounters with them. Other, you know, than my grandmother 
was, uh, and, and this is an, another story, but my grandmother was up for my sister's wedding. Um, at the time, the hotels had real keys. You know, they didn't have the little plastic key like they do now. Uh, my sister was getting married and she was going to check out of, you know, she's staying at the hotel that night. She was going to check out and they were going to leave for their honeymoon the next morning. And so she gave the key to my mom and she said, hey, can you do me a favor and come get the stuff out of her room? Checkout time is 11 o'clock. And my mom's like, yep. So she takes the key, you know, because they were going to head straight to the airport. So she takes the key. Well, when they walked in the house after this wedding, there was a, um, a cubby built into the wall of this old house where it was like the size of, you know, where you could put a, a picture, I guess, you know, probably 16 inches wide, maybe 20 inches tall, but it was built into the wall, like a cubby. And there was, you know, no shelving or anything. There was just like the spot. And my mom would put things there that she needed to remember where they were. My grandmother who, uh, had a habit of cleaning nonstop. Um, her whole life, you know, everything was meticulous in her house. She would clean, she would come to our house and she would start to, you know, clean everything with bleach. And she, I mean, that was just her thing. So the first assumption when my mom went the next morning to grab that key and it was gone was that my grandmother had moved the key. And my grandmother was a very, very, very feisty woman. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, when she was accused of moving the key, she didn't take it lightly. So my mom and her mom were having this argument in the middle of the dining room about, I know I put the key there. I, I'm a hundred percent positive. It's not there now. Nobody would have touched it except for you. And you always get up early and I need the key. And my grandmother's explaining to her, look, I didn't, I didn't touch the key. I don't know where the key went. I don't know why you're accusing me of this, but you know, we got to find this key. It's getting close to, you know, checkout time. My mom's got to drive to town. And while the two of them are in the process of having this argument over the key, the key literally falls from the ceiling and lands between them on the floor. Cool. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. That you. is crazy. That's cool, though. <laughs> Jesus, that's not cool. What are you talking? Well, so, let's just say wow. if you was to see something like that, it's like, oh my goodness, did I actually see what that what I just saw? I mean, and 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 so they both kind of, you know, my grandmother was didn't didn't take it as well as my mom did. My grandmother grew up. Um, she, she lived in one of the more famous haunted houses on the Eastern shore of Maryland, which is where my mom's from originally. Um, she lived in a place called the white house farm and the white house farm was notorious for paranormal activity and probably still is to this day. Um, you know, seeing aberrations and having, you know, paranormal experiences was something in fact, um, I have like a third cousin or whatever it was, but they wrote a book called ghosts in Kent County, Maryland. And they wrote it as a, uh, like a thesis to get their degree for their, for their, uh, either masters or PhD. Um, but they had to publish this book. And so he interviewed my grandmother and there's a lot of stories in there. Um, one of which is the ball of fire, which is, you know, a legend out there that this ball of fire rises up from the ground. And she was in a horse drawn carriage when she was a child with her father that she called pop. And this ball of fire traveled across the ground, struck the horse that was pulling the carriage that my grandmother was in. And uh, the horse, you know, took off. 
you know, and when they got back to the barn, the, the, the hair was singed off the side of the horse. So she had had plenty of paranormal experiences leading up to this. And so she was like, well, <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> this place is haunted. Uh, I guess so. I, that, that's some crazy stuff. I mean, that's like, <laughs> that's some crazy stuff. I, I look, I guess you got some ghost stories. I, I was, you know, like what, what kind of ghost stories could you possibly have? Those are pretty good ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And, definitely. <laughs> those are pretty good ones. You know, and, and people in the house and the, you know, the house that my folks had bought, they've, they've since sold it and they moved to a different location. Um, but the people that would, you know, there's, there's been several people that said they saw somebody, you know, they would see a, you know, person dressed in period clothing, you know, out of the corner of their eye and they would look and they would be gone. Um, but they knew darn right. Well, they saw a man standing there, you know, wearing this, this certain clothing that looked like, you know, it was from 150 years ago. Um, no doubt people had died in that, that house just because of the age of the house. And back then they didn't, you know, you didn't go to a nursing home to die. You died at home. So, you know, we don't know the entire history of that house, but we've since, you know, my parents sold it. And uh, whoever's there now might be having some, <laughs> some experiences. <laughs> I would think there's no doubt they're having experience, having experiences. That's for sure. I mean, now, did your mom live in the house, like the house where your grandma, like, did she have any experiences from that house? No, where, no, she, okay. she never, she never lived there. I think that was my grandmother was young when she lived in the White House farm. But, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, and, that's and, and I and and I do have a couple of uh, psychic story. I don't know how much time we got, but uh, I think we got time. Like I'm Ooh. looking, I'm looking ahead. We I think we have some time from some psychic. That's my that's my okay. psychic ability. Because I right. think we have some time. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Your psychic ability is a clock. <laughs> that's awesome man it's just whatever jason tells me Listen, i en- i envy you <laughs> so, <laughs> so so as uh as a young man I, I worked in a pet shop in ann arbor and um you know people would come in and they would ask crazy questions about you know you work in retail if you've ever worked retail you know that there's customers that come in and ask all kinds of crazy stuff so i get a phone call um i became known in Ann Arbor is, you know, this young, uh, guy that knew a lot about reptiles. Um, people would call me all the time and ask me about, Oh, it's, you know, it's got these symptoms. What do I do for it? And I had studied up on it and I had had a working relationship with, uh, the guy who was the head of the herpetology department at university of Michigan. Um, and so I, you know, could help people out in a lot of different ways, whether it was, you know, with a ailment or whatever. I get a phone call one day, um, and this lady on the phone says, is there anybody there that knows anything about snakes? And she had us, you know, a deep Southern accent. And I said, yeah, well, you know, I know a lot about snakes. What would you like to know? She goes, well, she goes, there's, there's a snake in my house and I need somebody to get it out. And I said, well, it's not really something we do. Um, you know, have you seen the snake? I mean, it's probably, we live in Michigan. There's not, you know, there's only one venomous snake in all of Michigan. And it's about a hundred percent chance. That's not it. Right. It's probably a, something common. She goes, well, she goes, it's, I had somebody living in my house, renting a room and I had to, I had to kick them out and they turned a snake loose 
to get even with me. And she lived in Ypsilanti, Michigan, which is, you know, next to Ann Arbor. Yeah. And I said, I, do, I, I delivered pizzas in Ypsilanti. So just so you know, <laughs> just so you know, just so you know. Okay. <laughs> Who, who'd you, who'd you work for? I worked for real pizza. Do you remember real pizza? No, I don't. <laughs> so, sorry. But, uh, but it was really good. I mean, come on. It was great. Great pizza. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> So, so this lady said, I will pay you. And, and I could tell she was, you know, a, an older lady. She said, I will pay you to come over here to catch this snake. And I said, I'll tell you what. I said, I, when I get off work, I said, I will head over there and see what I can find out for you. And so I did. And I go over there. She was in a small, older neighborhood. And she came to the door. And she was just like the little lady on the movie Poltergeist. She was very small. She was oh old. And... You know, she, she's like, hey, are you Tim? And I was like, yeah. She's just like, come on in. It's nice to meet you. And she reaches out. She takes my hand. And as she did, she grabbed it with her other hand. And her eyes got real wide. And she goes, she looks right at me. And she gets really intense. And she goes, I know you. And I was like, oh, no, you don't. <laughs> you know? I'm, like, I'm like 16 or 17, right? And I'm like, oh, this is weird. And she goes, no, I, I know you, I know you, I can, I can, I can, I can tell you how you're going to die. And I was like, well, oh my goodness, I, I don't want to know. I don't want to know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she goes, and, and she goes, what's your name? And, uh, I said, Tim, and she's like, what's your last name? I said, Lovelace. And she goes, oh. she goes, I know. She goes, are you related to a Norman? Well, Norman was my great uncle who was my grandfather's brother. And she said, I have a cabin next to Norman Lovelace in Mayo, Michigan, which is, you know, several hours north of Detroit. And she goes, but I knew when I touched you that there was a connection there. I said, so my uncle Norm didn't tell you to call me. She's like, no, we've never discussed you at all. She goes, I don't talk to him very often, but I have a cabin next to him in northern Michigan. But I knew that I knew you. I was like, all right, so let's go look for the snake, you know? <laughs> so... So you're still so, game after this. You're still game to go al- all alone in this house looking for a snake. Yeah. You're more of a man. You're way more of a man in many regards than I am. So, <laughs> she, right, she, she was about she was about ninety pounds and seventy five years old. So <laughs> wasn't I wasn't too scared of her. So um, I explained to her, you know, I said, well, here's the process. I know certain places where snakes like to go. You know, when they escape from a house, or you know, uh, they like to find warm locations. So I checked under the water heater, and I found all these places. Well, I found a large snake skin, and I said, this appears to be a python skin, and you do have a snake in your house, or you had a snake in your house. Um, and I found it up in a drop ceiling that she had in like a, I guess a, great room area. Um, or a living, like a large living area. She had a small living room that she had a larger room where there was, you know, more sofas and chairs and things like that. So I'd looked up in there with a flashlight and I found a snake skin. And it was relatively fresh. It hadn't been, you know, dried out for too long. It was still somewhat pliable. It wasn't brittle. So I'm like, yeah, the snake's recently been up in here. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know, put uh, flour along all the door jams that way if he travels he will drag the flower in the direction that he goes and we'll be able to isolate him to one area we'll know that this is where he's at and i will you know as soon as you have movement you know through the flower let me know i'll come back here we'll track the snake down and i'll find it she's like okay and i said let me ask you a question i said how did how did you do that how did you you know what, what is this she goes well i'm a psychic and i said okay and i'm thinking to myself you know 
shouldn't she know where the snake is then? Like, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, so I'm thinking all psychics are phonies. Um, and then she says, she says, no, I, I can communicate um, with dead people. And I was oh, like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And, and she said, and she said, I go, well, have you ever done that? And she goes, well, yeah, actually the sheriff department has used me to solve several crimes. One of which was a man that was missing. He left on a motorcycle one day and he was gone. I drove around the county and until I got, you know, I got in touch with him and he told me that he had missed a curve and they would, you know, that he was at the bottom of this hill in this wooded area and they found him there. And that's where the police located the body of the man that had gone missing on the motorcycle. And she said, now, I'm going to tell you something. She says, uh, I, they also had me work on the John Norman Collins case, which people from Michigan know John Norman Collins, who I believe is still alive and still in prison um, in Marquette, Michigan, up in the up in the you know prison up there, um, was a serial killer in Washtenaw County, and he would kill young girls that were students at Eastern Michigan University, and so he was called the co-ed killer, and. So I'm like, okay. I go, did you did you solve that? And she goes, well, I did, but they put the wrong man in prison. I said, what do you mean? And she said, I drove around, and I drove around until I communicated with one of the victims that was killed in this house, and I told the police that you will find evidence in this house that a person has been murdered. And it's this person that I communicated with, which was one of the victims, which is one of the bodies they found outside of you know, the city limits where he would dump them in the country. Um, and he says, you know, she said that I told the sheriff department that this is where they would find the evidence and they did, but the house belonged to a state trooper. And the, you know, one of the, one of the interesting parts about the case is why would people willingly go with this guy? Cause there was never any really signs of struggle. Um, when they solved the case or, you know, when they started looking at it, they thought, well, okay, so this guy was watching his uncle's house. His uncle was a state trooper when he was watching his house that um, he would use his uniforms and he would use that to gain the confidence of these young girls and then he would kill them. So I said, what do you mean they got the wrong guy in jail? She goes, he's not the one that did it. It was his uncle. And I told him that because I heard from the victim that that's who did it. Now, I don't know if you can air this or not because that dude might still be alive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just looked the guy up. He's the guy that's in prison 74, so his uncle is probably not still alive. But okay. but, but that so was – And so the kid – so that, that Collins never like he, – He maintains his innocence to this day. But does he not? God, I wonder if he's ever thought that it was his uncle. I think he knows it was his uncle. I think. Well, let me put it this way, because I don't know if it was his uncle. I'm going to put in a clause there. Okay. Okay. I okay. Think, I think that that's who he believes it was as well. <clears throat> Fast forward to, um, I guess it would have been '97. I started working um, at the sheriff department as a boat cop and one of my fellow employees that was also a boat cop lived in that same house and i found that out one day when i was talking to him and he goes yeah i live in the house that uh 
was owned by John Norman Collins' uncle, where they found the evidence of, you know, the girl that had been killed. So there's that. Wow. <laughs> okay. All right. So, so did the lady ever find the snake? Uh, no, we ultimately determined that, um, the snake had exited the premises, but, um, cause I stayed in touch with her for a little bit, but I wanted to, I wanted to kind of put a little bit more time into it. And I know that books have been written. I actually had dialogue with a guy that wrote the most recent book about John Norman Collins. And I told him this story and he blew it off. He's like, Oh, absolutely not. But he had already had his book written and published and he didn't, you know, he wasn't going to buy into any, any theories. And he's like, yeah, no, no, you know. It is what it is at this point. So, but yeah, I have to admit, I did not expect we were going to get a, uh, get a solution to his decades old serial murder <laughs> case. I mean, when we, I mean, that's, that is, that's crazy. Yeah, so that's, that's the story crime stuff right there. Yeah. So there you go. <laughs> God. Um, so she never, can you imagine meeting somebody for the first time and saying, Hey, and you're, and, and let's put it this way. And you're not a serial killer. And you say, hey, I know how you're going to die. I mean, that's a line for a serial killer. Right. It's a, you know, I know how you're going to die, but uh, <laughs> golly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and interestingly enough, you know, I mean, the only thing, one th event that happened in my life prior to meeting her, which kind of opened the door for me to maybe listen to this lady a little bit was while working in the pet shop. I had a, uh, a lady come in and she wanted, she was going to buy a bird and we had these finches in a cage and there was like 20 finches in one cage. And she goes, I want that one right there. Well, you know, you're chasing these birds around the cage with your arm in, in the cage, trying to get the exact one. And I said, well, keep an eye on it. Cause they're all going to fly. I'm going to try to catch the exact bird that you're looking for. And while I got my arm in the cage, she puts her hand on my shoulder and she she says to me, "You're a cancer born in the year of the dragon, and you're very artistic." And I'm like, "Because art was my thing. I mean, I was I did four years of senior art in high school, and uh, I immediately was like, what? And I'm you know I was born in June of a cancer. I was born in '64. I was the year of the dragon, and I was an artist. And you know, after I caught the bird and I put it in the box, I go, what are you talking about? And she said, uh, I'm a psychic. And I know that you're a cancer born in the year of the dragon and that you're very artistic and that you should follow your art aspirations. Hmm. I was like, okay, here's your bird lady. <laughs> that'll, like be 20, I, that'll be 2995. <laughs> like I'm making $4 in a pet store. Will you ladies leave me alone? Like, like this is some of the best pickup line. I mean, that's, I guess before Tinder, right? That's how you, that's how you pick somebody up. Like I'm a psychic. Well, oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, I was a kid, so, <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, uh, it was a unique experience. And then, so I told people about that and they're like, ah, it was a lucky guess. You know, I'm like, well, I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. Maybe there are people that can do that. I, you know, I think it may be. I, I really do. I, we've, I mean, we've talked, I've met a lot of people through the show, and I do believe that there definitely are some people who are in touch with another realm around us that they can communicate with, you know, like yeah, they have whether some it's type of uh, sensory perception that we just don't yeah, have. Yeah. And, yeah. 
Well, but I, but, but then again, maybe we all do have that ability and it's in the part of the brain that we're not using. Possibly. You know, maybe that's, well, yeah. well, and I, and I think, I think that maybe we all do. And I think that maybe sometimes it happens. Um, I know that my grandmother used to tell me all the time that she had the gift. Um, my mom, you know, has, and, and I have called each other simultaneously lots and lots of times. You know, I talk to my mom maybe once a week and there's been plenty of times where we both picked up the phone to call each other, um, at the exact same time. And you think, well, is that happenstance, you know, what are the odds that, you know, within this five second period, within this, you know, time frame of maybe sometimes I went a week and a half or two weeks, you know, if I got really busy that we would both pick up the phone at the same time. Um, and an, an interesting thing happened, you know, with my daughter and I, where, you know, I was out of state working. I'd been gone for quite a while. And I, t- I you know, my, my daughter truly believes I can read minds. <laughs> so so <laughs> I said, uh, you know, I called her up one day and, you know, you actually met her on the set because she was, she operated. Oh, yeah. Site. Yeah. Yeah. And she had a paranormal experience at the prison too, which I could, you know. I can elaborate on slightly, but, um, <clears throat> I called her up one time and, uh, she said, what am I doing right now? Or where, where am I? I said, you're in the living room. And she goes, cause she thought I had a camera, <laughs> you know, cause uh, she would ask me this stuff all the time. And I would just try to visualize what color shirt am I wearing? You're wearing a white shirt. You know, what kind of pants do I have on? Oh, you're wearing, um, you know, shorts. And she's like, how do you know this? you have a camera in here? I said, no, I'm just kind of visualizing what I expect you to be wearing, I guess, and where you would be in the house. And so I called her up one day and she goes, uh, where am I? I said, you're in the living room. She goes, what am I doing? I said, you're dancing like an Egyptian. And she goes, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I'm like, no, why? She goes, that's exactly what I was doing. And my son was there and, and he verified it. And he goes, yeah, you know, and I think it's kind of funny that, you know, she thinks I can, second reader mind but is there something because you have a close personal connection with a relative that you know if you open your mind and you you try to see these things you know across spaces is it possible and i think i think it is to some degree so do you know right now if jason is actually wearing his shirt or not um let's see jason is not actually wearing anything right now he's uh <laughs> I, I gotta be honest with you that's probably a good guess most of the time <laughs> kind of a, wow. a you know my my goal coming on here was to get jason to laugh because he has he has the best laugh sometimes I, there's been episodes where i've rewound it just to hear him cracking up <laughs> oh man well i uh i'll tell you what this this has been as good an episode as i expected oh, i mean other than be, the, this is gonna be great this is halloween material right here this is great. Uh, yeah other other than uh i wasn't expecting the whole serial killer thing but that's a nice added bonus on halloween <laughs> Well, I am I am honored to be on your show. I've always been a big fan. I remember uh, the first time you contacted me and, and telling me that you were thinking about putting together this podcast, and um, it's really grown. And you've got some fantastic topics. Um, I enjoy it. I love I love your your humor, Shane. Let me tell you that right now. Okay, I know there's some people that have complained about it. But oh, so, some humor. People- Yep, some, some people you're, complain. Yep, <laughs> your, your one-liners crack me up. 
They did. They well, really do. <laughs> well, I I thank you. I think you're a fan club of one. And uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that, really. Because, hey, don't get the Sasquatch Chronicle fans going because they just yeah, they they're, don't, they're the critical ones. They're the ones that don't. They don't really appreciate. Like they don't appreciate me for some reason. <laughs> well, if, if you ever have me back, maybe you can have me back with a holler because you know I am. I don't care who you think is Holler's number one fan. It's me. Period. Well, now, you know what? Well, that we, would be a great collaboration right there. We're going to have to make that happen. We're exactly. going to have to make that happen. Yep. So all of our, everybody stay tuned for that because that will be, that'll be an epic clash of the Titans. It sure will. I, I, have, a, <laughs> I have a feeling. And, and Tim, I have a feeling. And Tim, thank you for coming on. I mean, we really appreciate it. It's been great. Yeah. A fellow cast oh, hey, member I'm, and uh, a star from Mosquito. I mean, we can't go wrong ah. with that. <laughs> no hey, one sure. Jason is. No wonder Jason isn't wearing anything right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, everybody, just go out and hey, watch Mosquito. Make sure you get out and uh, and you check out, you know, Escape from Death Block 13 and some good action. And, you know, yes. hey, go on my MDB page, check out some of the other stuff that I've done, Axe Giant, you know. Yep. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, good and, stuff. And, and don't forget to go to Walmart and buy the new Eddie Montgomery album to do. Don't forget I, that. I promise. <laughs> hey, I promise you, I will. Like, hey, I told you I was going to buy it, but I wasn't going to listen to the song until you watch Mosquito. Uh, yeah. All right, I'm getting Tip Mosquito out this weekend, and I'm going to watch. <laughs> I'm watching it. I'm watching it. Well, well, thanks, Tim, for joining us. I hope everybody listening has a very happy Halloween. And actually, to, hey, tomorrow is my birthday, so I guess happy this is a happy this birthday. Is a, thank you. This is a great birthday present. Yep. This is a great birthday go. present. So it's all, you get, it's all you're getting from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's more than I expected. So there you go. So, and uh, and, and so, Shane, uh, make sure you get him uh, find out what his schedule is so we can get him hooked up hooked up with the howler. We need to get an episode. Oh, I, that's yeah. going to be outstanding. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, that's a lot of pressure, Jason. To, uh, to I mean, you better block off a couple hours for that. Okay. I, I just have a all right. We'll give them a bonus episode, yeah. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Yes, because I because I want to start off with the story that Tim told us off the air. I think oh, that'll really? be the great. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think that'll be a great sliding into the uh to a howler episode of of uh, oh yeah, is your drug bus better than mine? Okay, let's uh let's see what we can do. Oh <laughs> uh, well, for everybody that's still listening to us, hooligans, have a happy Halloween and uh thanks for joining us. Yes, absolutely. Take care, guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the From the Shadows Podcast. Until next time, never shy away from the darkness or what may be lurking in the shadows. We are out. <laughs>
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.